Good morning, good morning. To the Grace family that's here, to the Grace family that's watching online, and to my Hope Alliance family that's here, thank you so much for coming. My bride Anita's here and a lot of our teammates. Thank you for being here. I appreciate that. It's my pleasure to be here and share the Word of God with you this morning. As my dear friend Jonathan said, um, his father was a mentor to me when I joined the CMA back in 1994. I was assigned to be mentored by Pastor Donald Schaefer. What a blessing that was to me to get to know him, to get to know the Schaefer family, and to be associated with the Grace family all of these years. Um, Pastor Jonathan spoke to me a few months ago about coming. He said you guys were going to be uh, finishing up a study on, on the minor prophets. And we had spent all of last year going through the minor prophets at at Moody, and I would preached through some of the major prophets. And so what I'm going to do today is kind of sum up some of the things uh, that I've learned and remember from the prophets, both major and minor. An old preacher told me a long time ago, it's not what you learn, it's what you remember. And so what I'm going to be talking about this morning is some of the things that I hope I never forget from the lives of the prophets, from the ministry of the prophets. Um, there's a common theme that seems to run through all of the, the prophets. We're going to talk about that and look at three situations that they addressed and make them applicable to our own lives. You'll see that the prophets spoke before the people went into captivity from sin. You see that they spoke while they were in captivity. And you see that they spoke when they came out of captivity. And so what we're going to do this morning is address those three situations from the prophets to our own lives. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, this privilege that we have to hear your voice through your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would quiet our hearts. There's so much that can distract us. We pray that your spirit would arrest our attention, that we would hear your voice through your word that each of us would bring forth the Christ-honoring response. We'll give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. What is one of the common themes that seems to apply to every generation? You have in front of you 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 13, where the Word of God says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet, and every seer, everyone that he gave a vision about the future, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Every generation needs to hear the word of God to turn from their evil ways, to keep his commandments and his ordinances and his word that he's sent to us and delivered to us by those who he has speaking on his behalf. We're going to talk about some of those timeless principles from the prophets. One thing you may have observed is that judgment must fall upon any nation or any people or any person that refuses to fulfill its God-given purpose or God-given mission in this world. It is so sad that so many people live and die without ever discovering why God gave them life in the first place. God is sovereign. You notice that in all the prophets and all the word. He's sovereign. He never changes. 
But certainly the times have changed from when he originally addressed these words to the people. But something else that hasn't changed are sinful human beings who continue to refuse to acknowledge the Lord who sits on the throne and they continue to commit the same sins that his covenant people committed and therefore suffer the same consequences. However, we serve a God of hope. He's called the God of hope, particularly Romans 15, 13, where Paul says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you keep on believing that you may abound in hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. So whatever condition you find yourself in, remember that you serve a God of hope, a God who can deliver you and set you free if you only listen to him and obey his voice. What are some of the questions that we need to consider as we study the prophets, both major and minor, together? I have noticed, and perhaps you've noticed too, that a lot of believers will pick verses from the prophets when they hear a promise that sounds good to them, and they just own it and make it their own. But the question is, how do you know that that promise was meant for you? One of the classics is in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. You may be familiar with that. And uh, basically he says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I mean, who hasn't put that one up on their wall? But then you notice right before that, that he's talking to a people that are going into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. And he says, settle down, make a home, raise a family, bless the community. You're going to be stuck for 70 years. Well, I didn't want to be in captivity for 70 years, but I sure like that promise from Jeremiah 29, 11. So, so how do I really know if God is speaking that directly to me or, or if the purpose of promises like that is to learn something about his character as he keeps his promises to someone else? It is good to know that if you actually have a relationship with Christ, he, he does have good plans for you. He, he does have a desired outcome for you if you choose to obey him. But every statement has to be interpreted in its context. Otherwise, we can't really know exactly what the prophets are saying to us. But we can always take away the principles from every promise in the word of God and make those principles applicable, applicable to us based upon God's character. So by way of application, as we talk about the prophets who spoke before the captivity, during the captivity, and after the captivity, we can make application because God speaks to us so that we deal with our sin before we're taken captive, if we're in captivity, or as he brings us out. A little bit of background, you're probably familiar with this if you've been coming for the past season here at Grace, but the Old Testament prophets primarily ministered from around <coughs> the 9th century B.C., to the fourth century BC. And during that time, Israel became a divided nation. They were united under their first three leaders, Saul, David, and Solomon. They all reigned for about 40 years. And then the civil war, then the division, and from the rest of the Old Testament history, while they were divided, the northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Both of them went into captivity. Northern Kingdom went into captivity around 722 by the nation taken captive by Assyria. The Southern Kingdom hung on to about 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians overran them. But God was speaking to them 
before they went into captivity. He was trying to get them to change their ways. And, and so one of the major prophets that I like to quote from and one that I'll never forget is what Isaiah was saying to them to try to get them to change their ways. I call your attention to Isaiah chapter 1 where the word of God reads, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They've forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. One of the things I always remember from, from that passage is where God says that even an ox and a donkey knows how to find their place, the place where their master takes care of them. You know, my wife and I have been married almost 42 years, and uh, she was a cat lover, and so I uh, learned to love cats. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting, though, whenever our cats would go out and wander the neighborhood, they always seemed to know which door to come back to, to scratch on, to, to get in. They knew where they were fed and who cared for them. And God said, you know, even animals know how to come back to their master, but my people don't seem to get it. That's not a compliment, by the way. <laughs> he says they're just sick. They, they, they don't get it. They don't understand who their, who their master is. And he goes on in chapter 1, if I call your attention to verse 12, where the word of God says, he's actually saying here that there are some worship services that need to be stopped. Watch this. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Your new moon and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Why, God? Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, he says, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. 
God is saying if you experience a change of heart, a change of behavior, you can avoid the painful consequences of sin. He says, come now, let us reason together. He's inviting a dialogue between his sinful people and himself. He's, he's saying you, you need to get cleansed, and I'm the only one that can provide the cleansing. It's only the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection. It's the only cleansing God accepts for sinful people. He says, come, let's, let's reason together. I, I don't want you to face these consequences. I don't want you to go into captivity from sin, but if you don't stop, you most certainly will. And, and when you go over to Isaiah chapter 5, he, he starts to detail some of the specific sins that his people are committing. The sins that Israel committed are the same ones that our nation commits, that other nations commit, and even sadly, individuals in the church continue to commit to this day. I call your attention in the Word of God to Isaiah chapter 5. I'm going to read some verses uh, between verse 8 and verse 23. Isaiah chapter 5, starting at verse 8, the Word of God says, Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there's no more room. You're made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Jumping down to verse 11, he says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp and tambourine and flute and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for lack of knowledge. Their honored men go hungry and their multitude is parched with thirst. Jumping down to verse 18, the Lord says, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sins as with cart ropes, who say, Let him be quick. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near. Let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink who acquit, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. The sins that Israel committed are the same sins that we see being committed in our nation and in every nation. And sadly, in the life of some professing believers. The verses that I just read to you, I, I have some categories to sum those up. You see them in front of you. Materialism. People just buying everything they can, depriving others of equal opportunity, worship what they possess instead of the one who should possess them. Hedonism, this mad desire to be experience pleasure no matter what the cost. You saw the cynicism, the, the sarcasm that people say, well, when God does something, then I'll believe it. But right now, I don't care. I don't trust anybody's motives. I don't trust him. And on and on it goes. Humanism, favoritism, covetousness, drunkenness by the common people and those who make judgments. And you see Isaiah said they get drunk, they take bribes, and they pervert justice. Carelessness, deception, pride, injustice, practicing these things, God says, will take you into captivity. 
It happened as a nation. It happens to individuals. Our nation is as guilty as any when it comes to committing these sins. The question on the floor is, are you guilty also? If you are, you'll soon find yourself in situations you cannot get out of without the Lord's help. So God speaks to us and warns us before we go into captivity, but maybe you've already been taken captive. Well, it's good to know he can still speak, and he does still speak while you're in captivity. One of the words that I learned that I'll never forget, one of the statements from the prophets comes from Zephaniah. And he gives us what I call the formula for failure. If you're doing what Zephaniah says, I promise you, you'll be captured in your sin. He calls them a polluted and rebellious city in Zephaniah verse 1 and chapter 3. And then he goes on to say, here's the problem. They wouldn't listen to my voice. They wouldn't accept correction. They wouldn't trust in the Lord, and they would not draw near to their God. Beloved, that's a guaranteed formula for failure. Don't listen to God, won't accept correction, refuse to trust him, refuse to draw near to him. You are going to be locked into your captivity until you repent and start to listen to the one, the voice of the one who wants to set you free. Jeremiah also prophesied faithfully for decade after decade after decade, warning his people, and the nation never repented. They refused to listen, and they did go into captivity. And then he wrote some words as he was observing his people and the pain of it all in a book called Lamentations, right after Jeremiah. Notice how he describes what he's seen and how painful it is. He, he says, he's made my teeth grind on gravel. Can you imagine that? Don't, don't go outside and try chewing on gravel. I promise you, it doesn't feel good. He's made me cower in ashes. Jeremiah says, my soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. But then he starts to remember, he, he starts to remind himself that, that we do serve a God of, of hope. And those next verses in Lamentations chapter 3, starting at verse 19, he says, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But then he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And then the words of that song that we grew up loving to sing, Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Beloved, if you are still alive to experience anything, God is saying, I've been gracious to you. I've been merciful to you. There's still hope if you just listen and respond 
and do what I'm telling you to do. Many of us have lived long enough to have been caught up in various sins and received grace and mercy. We've experienced the matchless love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't ever want to be taken captive again by sin. So what should we do? Well, God had a word to his people before they went into captivity, while they were in captivity, and after they came out of captivity. And so the last three prophets who spoke after the captivity, the only three who spoke after the captivity were Haggai and Zechariah and, and Malachi. And we're going to look for, for a thought from each of them as we prepare to wrap up this morning. So in Haggai chapter 1, we, we read these words. The, the people have come back from captivity and they're they know they need to restore the temple so that they can restore their worship, but they, they get sidetracked and they start paying more attention to rebuilding their, their own homes and neglect the house of God and restoring the place of worship. So the principle, of course, is when God brings you out, make sure the first thing you do is restore your place of worship. Haggai, verse one, Haggai chapter 1, verse 7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. That sounds like your last paycheck. <laughs> you brought it home, you pulled out the bills, and money's gone already. God was deliberately frustrating his people because they were not making him the priority. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all of their labors. God is saying, I'm frustrating those of you who I've delivered and you still refuse to make me priority. Learn to worship me so that you don't go back into spiritual captivity. Zechariah also had a word for the people after they came back from captivity and so a group of people came to him and they were wanting to talk to him about some religious practices that they had started while they were in captivity. See, Zechariah wants you to examine your real motives for your religious practices. And so we read these words in chapter 7 where the word of God says, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with their cities around her in the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. 
do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So the people come to Zechariah and say, hey, we were fasting and praying. Should we keep doing that? If you read that section, you notice in the next chapter, actually two more fasts were discussed. So, so what had happened is during those 70 years, they had chosen some occasions to fast and pray to one, to remember the time when the temple was overtaken. And another time they'd fast and pray in remembrance of the Babylonian army taking them captive. And so there were a couple other practices that they had started when they were in captivity, but now they were back. Going, hey, do we need to keep doing that? And so the question on the floor was, were you really that concerned about God or was that all about you? If you're doing something right, why, why are you stopping? But if you're doing it for selfish reasons, you need to re-examine why you're doing it in the first place. I got drafted back in 1971. Some of you weren't even born. And suddenly that Bible that I had kind of taken for granted, going to Sunday school, going to church, you know, looking every bit the Christian on the outside. But when I got drafted and there's this war going on and, and suddenly I'm starting to think seriously about things of eternal value. And so I, I'm digging into that word and I'm reading and I'm, I'm praying and I'm talking to others. And, and then I got out and got my freedom back. And I look back now and I say, you know, once I got set free, suddenly I wasn't reading the same and, and praying the same because I was out of my captivity and went right on back about my unholy business. And sadly, that's what a lot of people do when, when they feel they're captive. Suddenly they're crying out to God and he sets them free and they walk away from him. And, and so Zechariah is saying to them and he's saying to us, was that really about you wanting to draw near to God or was that really about you didn't like being in captivity? Because if you're not really doing it for the Lord, you're going to go into captivity again. If you're doing the right thing, why are you stopping? Malachi also had a word for the people who'd been set free from captivity. It's a beautiful word where he reminds us that God loves to hear his people talking about him. Malachi 3, starting at verse 16, the word of God says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. The, the word picture there is, some of the translations say he, he, he listened and heard. The, the picture is, you've, you've probably seen someone call to an animal or, or someone, and at the initial sound, their ears perk up, 
and then they lock in on what the word is and where it's coming from. And, and so God uses that same word picture. He says, I, I hear my children talking about me. My ears are perking up. I'm listening to what they're saying. He said, I love to hear my people encouraging one another as they, they talk about me. And, and God said, those, those are my people. Those are my crown jewels. Those are my treasured possession. They're going to be mine. The people who worship him, the people who meditate on his word, God says, those are mine. He loves it when he hears us talking to one another, encouraging one another, sharing those testimonies about how he delivered us and set us free. He's a God who provides healing and deliverance. And to those, he says, to those who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You should go out leaping like calves from the stall. What a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and his, his imminent return. And again, he uses a farming illustration where the animals have been kept in and well fed and, and now they're set free to go out and roam and prance. And God says, my people who've worshiped me and been set free by me, I'm, I'm going to allow them to go out and experience all the joy that I created them to have. I am the Son of God who provides healing for every situation. If you listen to me, if you obey me, if you heed my warnings, if you do what I tell you to do, you can experience the freedom that I have for you. We close with this thought. As we reflect on how God spoke to us before we were taken captive by sin. As we reflect on how God spoke to us while we were taken captive and showed us how faithful he is. As we reflect on what God is speaking to those of us who've been set free to make sure we don't go back to doing the things that took us captive before. We have hope, but our only hope is in Christ. And to that, all the prophets agree that no matter in what condition you find yourself. He is your way out. He's the only one who can give you freedom. He's the only one who can give you victory over sin. So the question is, are you willing to listen, respond, and obey to the voice of the Lord? If you're willing to do that, you can experience the freedom and the joy that he created you to have as you stay in relationship with him. He is the God of hope. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder from your word, Lord. We, we pray again, Lord, for those who are still practicing sins that are, are taking them, Lord, deeper and deeper into captivity. We pray that you would speak to them, that they would hear your voice and they would respond. Lord, we pray also for those who are caught up in sin and, and trapped and we know they cannot get free apart from you. We pray that they would hear your voice, that they would listen they would respond and that they would be set free. And Father, we pray for those who've been delivered, who've been set free, that they would hear your voice, that they would respond, that they would not ever go back to the sinful practices that took them captive in the first place, that they would speak often of you to one another and encourage one another and be reminded, Lord, that you have made us your own precious prized possession because of the redemption that you provided through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Help us, Lord, to walk in that victory and to celebrate you. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.